Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So welcome everyone on Zoom. Welcome everybody in person. All right. So yeah, I wanted to chat today about a text um, called, called The Precious Garland. And uh, it's by Longchimpa. Uh, and it's actually a, uh, sorry, just kind of bringing, bringing up my notes and stuff here. It's actually a commentary on another text by Gompopa. I'm actually going to bring put that into the chat box here on the four dharmas of, of Gampopa. So um, Longchenpa from a, a slightly different lineage gives a, a bit of a commentary on a little bit deeper dive into Gampopa's um, instructions. So thought we kind of go over this. We've done we've done these uh, these kind of pointers in, in the past and. I'm actually going to just focus on a few points today, and maybe we could do some experiential meditations because I think, yeah, I think that would be really fun. Sorry, I put in the chat box. I put I put some stuff, but it grabbed the Tibetan too, so it's really confusing. So that's awesome. <laughs> but I'll talk it out real quick for people here in person as well. So usually these four dharmas of Kampopa, like we we almost say them as as a prayer. So uh, grant your blessings so that my mind may turn towards the Dharma. That's the first one. Grant your blessings so that the Dharma may progress along the path. So that, yeah, so that Dharma, grant your blessings so that the path may clarify confusion and grant your blessings so that confusion may dawn as wisdom. So these are kind of the four, the four reflections, right? That our minds turn towards the Dharma, that the Dharma progresses, you know, along the path, that the, the, um, the path may clarify confusion and that that confusion may dawn as wisdom. Right? Uh, so along the commentary, so Longchimpa, as he dives into uh, turning the mind towards the, the Dharma, I'm going to read something that I usually pass over, <laughs> but I think it's actually nice to just kind of chat about it. You'll know, you'll see why here in a moment that I usually pass over this. Um, I don't really emphasize it um, when I see things like this in the text, but maybe we could unpack it, right? So again, this is a commentary on grant your blessings so that the mind may turn towards the Dharma. So there's, there's certain things that we want to do so we can make sure that the mind is turning towards the Dharma. And so here Longchenpa is chatting about uh, hanging out with other people. <laughs> the faults of being with people are really limitless. 
There is far too much useless distraction and activities. Anger, arguments, and fighting increase, and attraction and repulsion arrives. You always become infected with their bad habits, and this is pointless. No matter what you do, there is never a time when you could really please them. It sounds personal. Maybe he's speaking of a person in particular. No matter how much you listen to them, nothing good ever comes of it. Uh, no matter how close you are uh, to someone, like your best friend, in the end, you will have to part. Therefore, abandon all involvement in which you are dependent on followers, friends, or relatives. Make a definite effort from today on to live in quiet solitude in order to practice pure dharma. So, <laughs> the Mahayana you know, Mahayana tradition is actually founded on the premise of, you know, one, one of the pillars of, of this vehicle is that it's for the lay person, right? It's for the lay people. Um, it has a broader scope, you know, so it, 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 is, uh, it is for everyone and the Dharma is for everyone, right? For, for lay people too. And we have these amazing examples of, of uh, teachers, even you know, in, this, in this exact tradition here, we have these amazing examples of teachers that are lay people. We have uh, Ergen Rinpoche comes to mind. Ergen Rinpoche is an amazing, you know, Dzogchen, Tibetan, Lama Rinpoche, incredible, incredible teacher. He had four children. Uh, uh, many of you have maybe sat with Mingo Rinpoche or Sokni Rinpoche, who comes to uh, inside LA. Sokni Rinpoche comes to inside LA. This is their father. And by all accounts, their mother was an incredible practitioner too. So even in these very you know, traditional you know, traditions and whatnot, we have examples of, of lay people uh, uh, being very, very accomplished you know, practice, practitioners. Um, so, you know, we don't necessarily have to do these, uh, go off into seclusion. But what I actually take from this is um, the truth of it in, in that some of the relationships, depending on our relationships, you know, we could get caught up in some of these things. Like we don't have to have relationships that are like this. This is why there's an importance of sangha, importance of spiritual friendship, spiritual community, spiritual um, interactions, right? So, so this fosters you know, the op opposite. Of course, it, one of the refuges is sangha. So the Buddha and the grant again, Buddhism and many other traditions. You know, it's I call it like the great paradox, right? The paradox is. Sangha is the entire path, Buddha said, and then we get texts like this <laughs> saying, just go away from everybody. And he's not even saying here, like, in fact, you know, as the text continues, he's talking about the reliance on it, your spiritual teacher, which is interesting because he says, go away from everybody, <laughs> go to seclusion. 
but yeah, I think what the takeaway here is, you know, the the attachment, the aversion that can come from these relationships, um, the anger, the arguments, all, all the all of these types of things. So just to be aware of the possibility that the, these can manifest, and also too the fact that we can move into solitude, like even even as um, lay people, right? Um, several of us here, I'm looking around, about four or five of us, it looks like we um, spent a couple of days at Benedict Canyon uh, over the weekend, um, sitting in, in solitude together. And I know for one, it made a difference that Sangha was here, like the people, some of the people that were, were sitting, that uh, we built up you know, a spiritual community together and, and all of that. So, so there's some great benefit too, as well as all of the faults that are limitless. <laughs> there's, also, there's also good stuff. And I know for, for one, personally, I feel like there's so much learning that comes from being in situations with people that these things arise like it's really important to note that they that they arise the reason why we go into retreat and the solitude is not so we could feel like we're buddhas there but that when we come out in into the real world and we're having these interactions that we have built up uh, some clarity so we could see if uh patience is actually there or not <laughs> we might feel like oh I'm, I'm good you know of course until we uh hang out with people that push our buttons right so yeah could be really really beneficial so i'm going to skip ahead um, we're going to go from fairly a mundane topic like like that and actually we're going to skip far far ahead so uh Blanchimpa, when he's talking about, um, he's diving deep into the grant your blessings so that the path may clarify confusion portion of, of the teachings. So we're talking really about the clarification of confusion. And Longchimpa here dives really deeply into the manifestation of the eye of this, this uh, contemplation or like this almost subconscious understanding that there is a fixed, you know, permanent individual I that exists and everything's kind of bouncing off of that. And that is causing a lot of confusion to arise. So he's kind of jumping into that. So I'm going to read a little bit, a little bit here. And then I think, so when you're listening to this, especially because I'm reading it and you're not looking at it, because I know for myself, I'm I do better if I'm actually looking at something other than when people are reading it to me. So we're going to practice this experientially. So, so just allow the words to land and don't worry if it's not making, you know, complete sense or, or whatnot. And then we'll do some experiential practices to let this come um, into fruition for us. From the play of the Dharmakaya Foundation, the Dharmakaya is like ultimate truth um, layer of awareness. 
there arises this sort of unawareness or ignorance that causes you to think of yourself as a single unique individual. This subtle cognition that thinks I am is known as self-preoccupation. From it arises the consciousness grasping for I and mine, which groups or draws things to itself in order to establish or prove its own existence. It is through this process that graspable objects arise. I'll kind of read that again, saying that there arises um, an, a sort of unawareness, it's interesting, or ignorance that causes you to think of yourself as a single unique individual. This subtle cognition, like this imputation on awareness that thinks I am is known as a preoccupation. So it, it occupies the mind. From it arises the consciousness grasping for an eye. So then consciousness is grasping for this eye and a mind which groups or draws things to itself in order to establish or prove its own existence. Mm -hmm. I love that line. You know, it's like, I, I'm here, so I need to, I am, so I need to prove that I am. You know, e even some, something like, even something like anger or something, you know, like we feel like the sense of uh, I am, I'm, I'm here, you know, something, something forceful like that. It is through this process that graspable um, objects arise. So it's like, okay, now things that were empty, now, now I can grab onto them because there's an eye to grab onto them. Like, if at this stage you simply let go of grasping objects, so even at this stage, if you're aware of it, if you're aware of like grasping mind and the sense of eye and everything like that, if at this stage you simply let go of grasping objects, leaving them the moment they arise without pursuing them or trying to improve anything, the process terminates. So it was like, even, even with all of this momentum of this eye and the mind and all that stuff, if we do with, with mindfulness, wakefulness, if we let them subside, that whole process terminates, this grasping mind terminates. All that has arisen subsides and dissolves. But if they are not let go, there is the further arisal of specific sensory consciousness and identification that this consciousness is grasping this object. So if not, there's like there's there's a is added onto by this by the senses that this consciousness is grasping this object and that consciousness is grasping that one. So this, this interplay, subject object. With this ensues the process of naming and giving meaning to those names. This is how grasping formulates. I'm gonna read that whole thing again. If at this stage you simply let go of grasping objects, leaving them the moment they arise without pursuing them or trying to improve anything, the process terminates. All that has arisen subsides and dissolves. Packing that for a moment, this is the beautiful thing is that when we watch things, like even things that have seemed really sticky, we, we watch them and we understand that everything that arises you know, falls away. 
you know, sometimes I like to do like ending, what I call like ending meditation, which is I find the end of everything. If there's a sound that goes by, I find the end of that sound. If there's a sensation I notice, I find the end of that sensation, right? If there's a thought that I notice, I find the end of that thought. So you could find the end of it. Sometimes it's even fun to ring your own bell at home and just notice if it ends. If you're doing breath meditation, notice the, the end of that breath, the end of the inhalation, the end of the exhalation, right? All that has arisen subsides and dissolves. But if they are not let go, there is the further arisal of specific sensory consciousness and identification. That this consciousness is grasping this object and that consciousness is grasping that one. With this ensues the process of naming and giving meaning to those names. This is how grasping formulates. Thus, once the idea of I and mine has arisen, the entire mechanism of sense objects in consciousness or subject object proceeds in order to gratify an exquisitiveness of this imagined I through concrete sensory experiences. And this is why we speak so much of the I as the root, you know, if we if we see the emptiness of the I, then we're done. So we could see the emptiness of phenomena, of objects arising within awareness, see the emptiness of, of thoughts, awareness, uh, emptiness of emotions, emptiness of objects, you know, emptiness of a chair and all these things. But if we see the emptiness of the I, that's the root, right? Everything else goes away from, from there. That's why you say like, thus, what's the idea of an eye and a mind has arisen. The entire mechanism of sense objects in consciousness or subject object proceeds in order to gratify that um, acquisitive, I said it right the first time, <laughs> acquisitiveness of the imagined eye through concrete sensory experiences, right? So that eye becomes curious and wants to attach to things and wants to experience things, right? And so, it, it starts that whole process. The imagined I tries to make itself real by creating and pursuing sensory experiences. This is a brief description of how grasping and consciousness and grasping at objects arising produce and perpetuate samsara. Right. So, I thought we'd play a little game called find the owner. <laughs> um, so let's just, um, let's just move back into a meditative posture. So with these practices, we're going to look and look like there's nothing to find. And also not looking 
with a mind that analyzes, but simply looking like you would look at a chair. If you were looking at a chair, you don't need to tell yourself all about it. Like, oh, I see a chair, there's a chair. This is a shape, this is the color. If you saw a chair, you would just see the chair. You would automatically notice its shape, its color or whatnot. Just simply there. So just looking in this way. So we say my body, my body, like there's an owner of the body. We're just gonna look for a few moments, open and free. And taking refuge here, by the way, taking refuge in awareness. These practices are actually very stabilizing because awareness is the firmest ground we could stand on. We're taking refuge here in awareness and compassion as we do these practices. We do them with the intention of benefiting all beings. We're just going to look gently, openly. Who owns the body? Who or what owns the body? this eye that owns the body, just looking. If I asked you to point to your shoe, you can easily point to your shoe. Who owns the body? Who or what? You could say where. Where is this owner of the body?
in similar fashion. Sometimes we may say, I was thinking my thoughts. Just looking for a moment. Where is this owner? Where is this owner of the thoughts? This is the firmest ground we can stand on. So, who found it? <laughs> um, maybe as a group, just, uh, you know, we can, I could maybe do a couple more here too, but just um, how did that go? How was that experience? Anyone want to share how it was for them? If you're new to that one, it could feel pretty abstract, huh? <laughs> was saying yeah you're thinking of the the body and then the thinker of the thoughts and then you said something magical though you said i don't know where to go from there right. <laughs> awesome <laughs> don't know don't know yeah Anthony. Yeah, this is kind of like a Zen koan. Uh, where's the master of this body? Where does he reside? And when I was sitting, I just would notice thoughts bubble up out of emptiness. 
and exist for a while and then go back to emptiness. Thank you. I remember vividly the first time I got this, this teaching was from Venerable Tenzin Shogi, who coming next weekend. And I remember her doing this practice with us. And then she's like, where is it? Is there a little driver in your head? Like a little, like, you know, like the, like a, a tractor driver, like in the little, like is someone controlling you? Like in your brain, like a little you in there? Like, where is it? You know? Like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> Can't find it. I remember. Okay. Yeah. I just remember back to the first time I heard this. I was like, you know, I still it's abstract for me. But one of the things that helped was if I were to point to Casey. Where's Casey? I mean, is that Casey? I'm pointing to the forehead. Is that Casey? His shoulder? I mean. Where, who is, what is Casey? That helped me think a little bit more broadly about it. But I still go back to the logical mind that says I was born, <laughs> I have a name, I have a body. Mm -hmm. So I still struggle with that part, of, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Right. So Sue was saying, you know, it's easier for one to point to somebody else and like try to find Casey. But then, she goes back to, well, I was born and, you know, I have a name and all of these things. It's very important to note, we're not saying that we don't exist. We're saying that we don't exist in the way that we think we do. This is, it's, it's not, it's not non-existence at all whatsoever. This is why I'm serious when I say it's the firmest ground we could stand on because those things that Sue is saying are true. There is a body that's born and there's a name given and attributes given and maybe job titles and things like that. But those things are shifting and changing. So in a way like those, like identifying with those things is kind of anxiety provoking, right? Because they're slipping through our fingers. If we try to have a, an identification, like an, an eye identification with, with those things, it's, it's quite difficult. It's destabilizing, right? Now, there, there's nothing to find when we turn inward like this. There's nothing and like there's a no thing. There's a no thing to find, but it doesn't mean that we don't find something. <laughs> like, and I love how Long Chimpa puts it. And, you know, I've said this a bunch because I'd love how he, how he puts it, which is what remains, right? So when things come and go, what remains? Like when you're looking, what's there, right? When the idea of self, when you lose the idea of self, what remains? When, when you cannot find like a fixed permanent I, well, what, what's there then? But, but what remains? I, I would describe it as being. 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 Yeah. And you know where where this where these practices allow us to to experience this right mm -hmm. to what it, what's what's it like to experience beingness like what are the qualities not the transitory qualities of a false sense of I 
but what are the qualities of that something that remains, that beingness that's, that's always here? Like when we, we could take refuge in that because it's always here. Beingness is always here. But the things that we usually grasp onto as self, they're shifting and changing all the time. The body changes, the owner of the body, which is more, yeah, this unspoken thing, <laughs> this unspoken no, no thing. Right? So it, it's wonderful. Like I wrote a poem one time um, of, I forget how it went, but it was something like, you know, we can't find the eye that fear has been sent to protect. So when something like fear is arising, well, where's the, what's it protecting? How am I in danger? Is the true I in danger? Can it be? Can the birthless, deathless, indestructible I ever be in danger? Obviously, if we're connected to body as self, then there's danger, maybe. I love how, um, what was uh, Ram Das's friend, Ram Das and his friend were doing a, were having a, giving a talk or something, and somebody asked, what about death? And Ram Dass's friend, I don't know who it was, I forget. But he said, death, death is safe. <laughs> <laughs> death is safe. I love that. Yeah, I just wanted to say, I'm really enjoying this conversation and just kind of you know, putting some of the pieces together of the talk. Um, and I think on a certain level or a certain distance down the path, we kind of intuit that there is a, a place of being or have some experience with it, but the mind can also turn that into another sense object or another thing to experience or want or desire um, or another concept to talk about in Dharma talks. <laughs> and I really like this idea of um, there's nothing to look for, but there can be something that we see. Um, and that just, uh, it, it, it subtly kind of shifted something in the way that I kind of approach these, these practices. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, great point. Yeah, there's a, there's a text called Clarifying the Natural State. And I really enjoy the text and, and I enjoy the title because I'm so glad you mentioned that. Like, even, even when things are experientially kind of empty and really pure and authentic little glimpse of like, you know, we're not doing anything, we're not looking for anything and something arrives, it's very clear. And then, yeah, the mind will be, hey, look what I found, you know, like, and, and make this, make this something out of nothing. 
And the clarifying of the natural state is how do we continuously, you know, continue to clarify into the subtleties where there's no imputation left, right? And, and again, if we always look at like, well, what remains? Now we know from the backdrop that what we're looking for isn't shifting and changing. Things are shifting and changing in awareness, but awareness mm -hmm. is not shifting and changing. So this is one really good thing to hold on to. Like we're not looking for like a bliss state or that state. We're looking for a non-state. Yeah, no one is looking for anything. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, so this is one good way to, you know, for like, oh, I found it. Well, if if you found it, then you should keep looking. <laughs> and if you found something then keep looking, so, you know, um, and again, when we speak of this, if it's, if it's feels abstract because we're speaking in the realm of duality, but in experience, there's not duality in experience that subject object that long Chimpa was talking about fades away. And this is the real clarity that comes it clear, it beyond, like, we really can't talk about it. Like, even the greats, even Longchenpa and and Papaji and these you know amazing teachers, um, none of them can speak about it. You know, they could just point to it, right? And and it's up to us to just you know have faith enough and and sit with it. Right? All right. Let me see. Depending on our time, I might read a little something or we might do another sit here. Okay, I'm just gonna read something. Um, ultimately, nothing can be found. Everything of relative reality appears through ever-changing momentary causes like clouds in the sky. When moisture in the air is moved about by the wind, clouds are formed in the sky. This is Longchenpa. But since clouds are the manifestation of the wind and the moisture of the sky, it is impossible to conceive of them as being really different or separate from it. They have no other place to go to establish their existence. Clouds can only gather in the sky and then vanish from it. In the same way, the deceptive appearances generated by your mind's awareness or ignorance produce samsara. The mind is like the moisture, an awareness like the wind. The various realms and deceptive appearances are like the clouds. The sky is the Buddha nature. It's going to read it again. Ultimately, nothing can be found. Everything of relative reality, so this relative and ultimate reality, relative reality is dualistic rea reality. Everything of relative reality appears through ever-changing momentary causes. This is the key, right? Ever-changing, like clouds in the sky. When moisture in the air is moved about by the wind, clouds are formed in the sky. But since clouds are the manifestation of the wind and the moisture of the sky, it is impossible to conceive of them as being really different or separate from it. 
They have no other place to go to establish their existence. Clouds can only gather in the sky and then vanish from it. In the same way, the deceptive appearances generated by your mind's awareness or ignorance produce samsara. The mind is like the moisture, unawareness like the wind. The various realms of deceptive appearances are like the clouds. The sky is the Buddha nature. So the inseparability is really important. You know, when we're, when we're first practicing, there's, we, the mind's interesting. We add space to the practice. It's kind of interesting. Like when we talk about the neutral observer, like, right, we're observing thoughts, but like the mind will want to put space in this factor in like a spaciousness, you know, like, um, uh, like, we'll even say like space between thoughts and you know our awareness and all this stuff but um things are arising you know with within within the awareness but they're not separate from it right just like mm -hmm. the experiencer of the sounds of the sound arising and there's something experiencing the sound the experiencer of the sound and the sound what makes them different you know are they are they similar are they are they different where do they connect how do they connect when do they connect like when does consciousness go out and get the sound does sound come in you know to the consciousness the perceiver of the sound is different how than the sound that in which it perceives is there a difference right these are the types of, you know, you know, experientially, we can look at all the things like, like, like this. Um, the inseparability. This is really what we're, you know, connecting to. And again, you know, we say emptiness because it's not one thing. We could also say fullness if we like. You know, I think that although emptiness, either the translations from the words that we translate into emptiness are not exactly emptiness from Sanskrit, but I think there's a lot of skillfulness and not saying fullness or oneness because there's an imputation. There's, a, there's like a, a sense of, of, oh, fullness, like there's something that we could actually grab onto and all of this stuff. And again, that's a thing. So I think there is skillfulness in using terms like emptiness, but that does not mean um, nothingness. You know, there's actually a great sense of interconnectedness, you know, and, and a feeling of, of fullness and, and all of that um, in that experience, in that non experience. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's just do just do one more like little five minute. Let's we'll do one more thing because these are way better. It's way better in um in practice. So just a few minutes. I can't stress enough as we do these practices the importance of bodhicitta and heart practices. 
the heart practices are absolute necessity when we're doing these practices because speaking of fullness the heart is the fullness right so as much loving kindness and compassion like we feel very you know safe and nurtured and, and nourished by loving kindness and then we can kind of you know peek into the unknown into like oh you know these things i'm not quite sure what's over here but i i'm in my heart you know i feel full right um, so recalling that bodhisattva intention, may I attain enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. May I do these practices for the benefit of all beings. You know, if it works for you to bring in your lineage, may the saints and sages of all times, all religions, please bless me, bless us. Allowing the heart to be full with gratitude. Tapping into this awareness. I know I'm here, I'm alive, I'm breathing. And we mentioned sound, so we could start there. Just noticing sound arising. Where do you experience sound? Sound might feel like it's coming from the outside, but where is sound experience? And is this experiencer of sound, is it different than the sound? And experience these answers, not with the mind, just experience the answer. And when these sounds go away, what remains?
All right. More fun. <laughs> uh, how was that one? Doing it, doing it again. Was it a, a, a bit different, a bit easier, harder, same? Any insights? Epiphanies? Confusion? I guess it reminded me a bit of that uh, question or the riddle if a wood falls, I'm sorry, if a tree falls down in the forest and there's no one here to hear, it doesn't make a sound. Where implicitly for the sound to exist on a relative basis, you need both the observer of the sound and the sound itself. And so it does seem like we are connected. Both of those things are necessary components to exist. But on this other level, it does feel like I am the observer of the sound and the sound in and of itself is something that I'm observing. So I, I don't know that that answers any question, but that's what was going through my mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then we can, you know, continue. And I'm going to use I'm going to use words, so they're not right, <laughs> right? But can, we can continue to take a step back. I right? always take a step back. So it's like when we're looking at that thinking process, right? Because this is what we're going to try to figure it out. In between the ears mm -hmm. and then we want to move back into experience so if it's something that's thought about you know we're in that con concept right mm -hmm. and so we'll watch that it's going to happen even if it's authentic like we're in this beingness mm -hmm. and we're like oh what's the difference between the sound and the experiencer and remember the experiencer we couldn't even find mm -hmm. right <laughs> um so what's that what's the difference and then the mind will, will try to put spaciousness and all this stuff. So when we see the mind doing its thing, who owns those thoughts, right? Take, take a step back. So, and it'll, it's like layers on an onion. Like every time we do this, there'd be a different understanding of it, different understanding, different understanding. And yeah, so just, it, it's all valid. Like as we go along, um, yeah, just like kind of keep repeating and keep watching the mind try to think it figured something out, right? And just experience, I always like experience the answer to myself, like experience the answer, you know? Um, these types of things, um, you know, there's a wonderful book uh, pointing out the Dharmakaya. I've, I've spoke about this book often. <clears throat> it has a lot of these pointers in it. And if, if you're doing things like this, sometimes it's nice to record yourself so you're not reading it. Like just record yourself dropping in these questions, you know. You can do the classical Ramana, what am I? You know, that's it would be like just the mantra, like what am I? Thank you. Thank you for these teachings, Casey. Uh, I appreciated that you brought in a bodhicitta in the second reading. Uh, I've been practicing a lot lately with strongly held views, beliefs, and uh, in, in how they relate to the construction of self. You know, the, 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 there's a delusion that really holding on tightly, you know, makes me more me. 
Mm. And that pushing away what I don't agree with makes me more me somehow, you know. And um, I've been practicing a lot with, you know, not this and not this, but holding like a bird, a little bird, you know. And it's very helpful to do that when I bring the heart practice in to, to remember my humanity and my connection with all other beings, uh, to remember that my own beliefs have changed over the years, maybe even over the days or the half days. And, and that not only am I holding other people lightly, but also myself. Mm-hmm. So these two things, the, the two teachings that you share really work together for me deeply. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And, you know, this, what we're talking about today is kind of on the wisdom side, like just penetrating the prajna side, the wisdom side, equally as effective and universally they need both, you know, is the the heart side, like, like JD was, was talking about depending on the tradition and emphasis, you know, the, the quickest way to realize um, non, like non-self, and again, not like we don't exist, but is bodhicitta, right? It's selflessness, you know, so if we continue, if we just practice the heart, we'd come upon these same realizations, right? Because it knocks the feet out underneath that self-cherishing, that self-grasping eye, right? So this is why the Mahayana tradition emphasizes it like almost universally. They, they'll they teach bodhicitta maybe ahead of even some of the foundations like the four uh, noble truths and things like this because they just think it's so incredibly important. And um, <clears throat> the chapter before what I'm reading now is all on bodhicitta, by the way. <laughs> we only have like so much time. Um, so yeah, it's incredibly you know, incredibly important. Um, and then it's it's also nice to, you know, when we're holding, when we have a full heart like this, to kind of see if we could penetrate the wisdom directly, right? And um, yeah, just holding, holding those two truths, right? Uh, relative and ultimate truth. And then also the two wings, the wisdom and compassion wing. You know? uh, the wisdom kind of rules the ultimate truth wing and then bodhicitta the heart practices kind of rule the uh, relative truth wing but all needed right yeah all right so let's just dedicate the merit to sitting one last time So speaking at the heart, let's reach into the tender, kind, gentle part of our hearts. And also using a bit of wisdom to reflect on our interdependence and our interconnectedness. And wishing that somehow, some way, our personal, individual, and collective 
wisdom that we have collected together today may somehow reach the heart and mind streams of all beings through that interconnectedness. May all beings be happy and free. May they be relieved of suffering. May they see their Buddha nature that is resting evenly at all times, free from attachment and aversion. Thank you all so, so much. Really appreciate everyone who came down. Um, even though we're we're using masks again uh, here, at least for a few weeks, because there's been a little uptick um, of COVID. But thank you, everyone in person who came and everyone who joined us. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.